official the world has gone mad so buckle up oh and you might want to wear this jacket because it's going to be a ride and here to show you the reins is dan newman that's what we do here is we trot the horses out we take the reins and we show you how to ride the horse and you just heard what pete said we better buckle in we are on a ride good morning everybody welcome to tnn live Yeah, I've got a deep voice anyway, but normally, not like this. I think it comes from that last leg from Doha, Qatar to Dallas, 16 hours with 300 plus of my closest friends on the plane with me. And I'll guarantee you in that 16 hours, even though they tell us how great and clean the airline oxygen and atmosphere is inside a plane because they filter it. Oh my gosh, they filter it again and again. Somewhere between Doha, Qatar and Dallas-Fort Worth, I probably breathed in every other passenger's stuff, whatever it is, two or three times. All that being said, it's not as bad as it sounds. I don't feel well, but it's not nearly as bad as it sounds. So we've got much to present to you that are very important items today. I'm going to stick this out. My goal is two hours, and we're going to do our best to make it work. We've got some information that you may not have heard from a bunch of people. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she's the Lightning Rod House member from Georgia, and she got in it with Jamal Bowers. Jamal Bowers is a very large representative. I think he represents a congressional district somewhere up upstate New York and they got into it on the street and it made national headlines I'm going to let you listen to Jamal Bowman give his explanation and when we do I want you to listen to the announcer the anchor it's not on a conservative news site but I like to from time to time let you understand what the other half of the nation is hearing about everything truth doesn't fit the narrative on the Democrat side. It just doesn't. If it was, if that's what they were looking for, they wouldn't get involved in at least 70 or 80% of this crud that they do. So we're going to get into that. You're going to hear about the weaponization of the FBI against its own agents and some testimony from Congress yesterday. You're going to hear yourself. Most of us aren't able to, during the day, go sit and listen to these uh, congressional hearings. I listened to part of one, this particular one, yesterday, and I just I just did SMH the whole way through. I shook my head. I could not believe the FBI, known for generations of being the most powerful, fairest, most complete law enforcement agencies on the planet. Sadly, those days are over. So we're going to start the show today as we always do. I'm going to play you a Chicago song. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Chicago. They started back in the late 60s in Chicago, obviously, and they were called the Chicago Transit Authority. But the Chicago Transit Authority, the entity that operated all the bus systems up there, they got a little out of kilter, so Chicago just dropped it to Chicago. Terry Kath was the original deep vocalist. You remember the song, Color My World? Remember that deep soloist? 
He was the original guy. Sadly, a couple of years into the professional career of the members of Chicago, they were in a party, and he was goofing around with a Colt 45 automatic, and he dropped the gun. It went off, and it killed him. It was a sad day for a lot of people, but we all thought Chicago was going to go away. This was right after I just discovered who they were. Well, they didn't, obviously, and they created some great songs, most of them original, and most of their songs tell a story, except maybe that big hit, 25 or 6 to 4. Never have gotten a plausible explanation for the title, but it doesn't matter. It's a great song. This song, one of the members of the group, had a really bad relationship. And she wouldn't be faithful to him, and he wanted to make her his partner for life if she would have been faithful. So grab your cup of coffee and listen with me to Chicago. I think this is 1976, 77. If she would have been faithful, what would have happened? I was thinking about her, visiting the past, reconstructing details with old photographs. I was studying the faces with an objective point of view.
isn't it interesting when you listen to a song, first of all, you can hear and understand the words to the song. That was an earmark of almost every song from the 60s and the 70s, even up into the 80s. That song, like most songs, especially big hits, people can identify with what's going on behind the actual music itself. That's just a prime example of how that works. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. Yeah, I've got a frog in my chest, in my throat. I uh, am sipping water in between our conversation segments today. And my plans are to do the whole two hours. I've got so much material we need to get into. But should something say otherwise, I will have to bow out and say thank you. And I appreciate all of you being here. I look down to see where our audience is today all over the United States. Actually, when I spent that 10 days in Zimbabwe, there are a bunch of people from Zimbabwe that learned about the show while I was over there. And they're listening in live this morning. They're seven hours ahead of us. And so it's afternoon, the end of their workday. What a better way to end the workway than listen to old Dan Newman live on TNN Live. I'm joking, I'm joking. But I want to thank everybody. We have some regulars now, a bunch up on the eastern seaboard, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, and in Boston. And I want to thank all of you for joining us. And if you have any questions, if you have any comments, good or bad, I want you to let me know. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Just know this about me. I don't know everything. Dan Newman, First Thoughts. Well, I guess the key to that is Pete Moss introduced me as First Thoughts. Just because we think something's right doesn't make it right. Correct? And the opposite's true, too. Just because we think something's wrong doesn't make it wrong. So we all know by now, Special Counsel Durham's final report. While it didn't recommend any new charges against anybody, it exonerated Donald Trump of any Russian collusion and it vindicated his claims of being targeted by a politicized federal law enforcement agency, the FBI. He's vindicated seven years later. Trump said this about it. It's a great vindication. It feels really good. And the report has been wildly praised. I wish it would have come faster, but the detail that he went into, 308 pages, that detail is extraordinary. And all of these people, I guess you could call it treason. You could call it a lot of different things, but this should never be allowed to happen in our country. Trump said that earlier this week in an interview on Newsmax. So what's in the report? I know you haven't had an opportunity, and even if you did, you wouldn't want to dig into 308 pages. I was on a combined uh, 25-hour plane ride, and I had it in my grubby little paws, so I spent a lot of time uh, digging into it. It is exhaustive in great detail. The report confirmed that the FBI launched a politically motivated witch hunt against Trump, not factually, politically motivated, using the flimsiest of pretexts to swiftly launch an investigation into him while they were ignoring intelligence that Clinton's campaign planned to accuse Trump of colluding with Russia to distract from her private server woes. And in just a moment, I got some news to tell you about the Clinton folks all wrapped around the Russia collusion story. 
The Durham report showed intelligence on the Clinton plan was so significant. Then CIA Director John Brennan had briefed then-President Obama and then-Vice President Joe Biden, both of whom did nothing to discourage the collusion hoax. Biden even perpetuated it on the campaign trail four years later, when he ran for president, of course. The Durham report also confirmed the FBI was spying on Trump, as he once alleged. According to the report, the FBI relied on an unverified dossier that was paid for by the Clinton campaign. There's no there there. There's no big deal there, right? And they did it to obtain four secret surveillance warrants called FISA court warrants on the Trump campaign, even after not being able to corroborate any, any of its substantive claims. Not a single thing. And by the way, when you present an application to get a warrant from the FISA report, the FISA court, you're supposed to include all the details. They did, and they lied, the FBI, again and again, five times. They lied about the justification to request a secret warrant. Meanwhile, the media published the dossier, and for the next six years, they went rampant with stories suggesting Trump did collude with Russia relying on anonymous sources, even winning a Pulitzer Prize for doing so. I couldn't believe that when it happened. New York Times, do you think they're going to give it back? (laughs) The Pulitzer Prize? I highly doubt it. And the whole time, the FBI hid from FISA courts and the public any evidence that was favorable to Trump while he, his family, his associates, were subjected to interrogation by Democrat lawmakers, public harassment, and constant smears. One infamous smear in the dossier was that Trump had engaged in a golden showers sex act at a hotel in Moscow. Durham's report said the likely source of that claim was a former Democratic National Committee official named Charles Dolan. The DNC got involved in it. So while Democrats and the establishment media have tried to frame the report as a nothing burger, even CNN anchor Jake Tapper, he was forced to admit it exonerated Donald Trump. The report is now here. This is Tapper talking. It's dropped, and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hope for, but it is regardless devastating to the FBI and to a degree does exonerate Donald Trump. So a lot of people hoped that Durham would recommend new charges. His report has at least exonerated Trump as he seeks re-election to the White House. In one of several triumphant posts on True Central, excuse me, True Social, about the report, Trump posted on Wednesday a meme that said Trump was right about everything, along with one of his tweets from May 2017 that said, quote, the Russia-Trump collusion story is a total hoax. When will this taxpayer-funded charade end? Now, there's more about the Durham's report. It cast a shadow on other ongoing pursuits by the Biden administration, DOJ, and the FBI against Trump and could bolster his assertions, assertions that he is being unfairly targeted. On Wednesday, Trump posted this on True Social. I was being framed by the FBI and the DOJ. Now it continues with the boxes hoax, the perfect phone call in Atlanta, the Manhattan DA, and the New York State 
Attorney General Scamp. What a group. But all report to the DOJ in Washington. It's James Comey. He went on. And the sleaze bags all over again. They're playing election interference in 2024 through illegal law enforcement against Republicans, in particular, your favorite president, me. These are cheating lowlifes, but we will win. Our country is going to hell. So while the establishment media once again has tried to move on from the report, Durham is expected to make fresh headlines when he testifies to the House Judiciary Committee about the report next week. I can't wait. I will record it in its entirety. And if you want a copy of it, you'll be able to reach it. I'll play a part of it on the air. That testimony could create problems for Biden. Biden knew as early as August of 2016 about the Clinton plan. But he did or said nothing as the U.S. government wasted enormous time and millions of taxpayer dollars looking into Russia collusion. There was no there, there. No, there, there. But when, to a Democrat in leadership, when do facts matter? They never matter. In fact, if any of the facts out there go against what they're trying to sell to the public, they'll just diminish them in any way they can. Adam Schiff, Shifty Schiff, is still out there, even yesterday, claiming there still is credible evidence that Donald Trump colluded with Vladimir Putin and Russia to get elected in 2016. You know what's interesting about Schiff and that whole mantra that he played and played it again and again and again? He got on every far-left news show for years espousing that very thing. He doubled down on it. He tripled down on it. He quadrupled down on it. Oh, he colluded. We know that. We have uncontroverted evidence that proves it. Not a single Democrat, not one, went on the record demanding that Adam Schiff, in his capacity as the chairman then of the Intelligence Committee of the House, he should, if there really was credible evidence, he should have gotten it and put it out there for the public certainly to be part of a investigation by the FBI into Trump alleged Russia collusion. He never did that. Democrats let him sing the song. And of course, he loves the limelight. And that's what he used. And that's why he did it. So he'd be in the limelight. So what about in the Durham report reveals the FBI shut down four criminal investigations into the Clintons during this? You haven't heard this before. Special Counsel Durham's highly anticipated report revealed that top leaders at the Bureau shut down four criminal investigation into Hillary and Bill Clinton. So what were they? Back in 2014, the FBI investigated a well-placed confidential sources claims that an unnamed foreign government intended to, quote, contribute to Hillary Clinton's anticipated presidential campaign as a way to gain influence with Clinton should she win the presidency. That's in a report. Ever hear about that? No, we didn't hear about that. I didn't hear about it till yesterday. The field office investigating these claims almost immediately sought a FISA warrant, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act FISA warrant, 
but it remained in limbo for about four months, primarily because Clinton's then-expected presidential campaign hadn't been announced yet. From the report, here's what it says about this. According to another agent, the application lingered because everyone was super more careful and scared with the big name, Clinton, involved. 321. 321. They were pretty tippy-toeing around Hillary Clinton because there was a chance she would be the next president. What else did Durham's report show? Revealed that three separate FBI field offices in D.C., Little Rock, and New York City obtained investigations into, quote, possibly criminal activity involving the Clinton Foundation. That happened less than one year before the November 2016 presidential election. Nobody went public with that. Nobody. Covering for the enlightened ones, Bill and Hillary Clinton. One of these investigations was spawned by Breitbart News, a contributor, Peter Schweitzer, in his book Clinton Cash, which exposed the Clinton Foundation's global nexus of influence peddling. Here's something about that from the Durham report. Quote, beginning in January 2016, three different FBI offices, the New York field office, the Washington field office, and the Little Rock field office, opened investigations into possible criminal activity involving the Clinton Foundation. The case opening communication referred to an intelligence product and corroborating financial reporting that a particular commercial industry likely engaged a federal public official in a flow of benefits scheme, namely large monetary contributions were made to a nonprofit under both direct and indirect control of the federal public official. But there's quid pro quo attached to it. That was in exchange for favorable government action and or influence. The investigation was opened as a preliminary one because the case agent wanted to determine if he could develop any additional info to corroborate the allegations in that recently published book, Clinton Cash, by Peter Schweitzer, before seeking to convert the matter to a full-blown investigation. Additionally, the Little Rock field office and the New York field office investigations included predication based on source reporting that identified foreign governments that had made or offered to make contributions to the foundation that in exchange for favorable or preferential treatment from Clinton. Schweitzer said he received a call from somebody from the New York FBI office after his book came out. There was a New York Times piece on Uranium One. It was kind of confirming what we had in the book. That's what I think triggered the interest, Schweitzer said. With the Clinton Foundation, you have the transfer of large sums of money. You had policy positions that were affected, and you had certifiable evidence. Schweitzer said, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't say what was illegal. But there was definitely a there, there, with all the speeches, all the donations and policy effects. And nobody's ever really disputed that, he added. And, of course, the FBI never investigated it. After all, she didn't make it. No big deal now, right? Ultimately, FBI leadership held a joint meeting with the three field offices at FBI headquarters, along with appropriate United States Attorney's offices. The first joint meeting occurred February 1st of 2016. 
However, the DOJ's public integrity section chief, a guy named Ray Hulser, said the FBI briefing at that meeting was very poorly presented, and he saw insufficient predication for at least one of the investigations, but not all of them. A second joint meeting occurred on February 22nd, that's three weeks later, while former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe chaired that meeting. McCabe initially directed the field offices to close their cases, but he later agreed to reconsider the final dispensation of those cases. Paul Abbott, who was the FBI Washington field officer's assistant director in charge at the time, he described McCabe's demeanor during the joint meeting as negative, annoyed, and angry. According to Abate, this is from the Durham report, McCabe stated they, the department, says there's nothing here, and why are we even doing this? At the close of the meeting, Campbell directed that for any overt investigative steps to be taken, the deputy director's approval would be required. Also from the Durham report, it was revealed that former FBI director James Comey demanded, not face-to-face, but through an intermediary, the New York field office cease and desist their Clinton Foundation investigation. Now, this is the guy that went public. He's the one that exposed Hillary Clinton's private server. He's the one that demanded accommodation, but at the same time, accountability from the Clinton Foundation for doing that. And then behind the scenes, he told everybody to drop investigating Hillary. Earlier in that week, McCabe claimed the Durham report was never a legitimate investigation. We knew from the very beginning exactly what John Durham was going to conclude, and that's what we saw. We knew from the very beginning this was never a legitimate investigation. This was a political errand to exact some sort of retribution on Donald Trump's perceived enemies and the FBI. Durham's report goes on and on. It highlighted the FBI's different approaches regarding their investigations into Clinton and Donald Trump. The use of defensive briefings in 2015 contrasts with the FBI's failure to provide a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign approximately one year later when Australia shared the information from Papadopoulos. Florida Republican Rep. Matt Gates, who today sits on the House Judiciary Committee's weaponization of the federal government subcommittee, he told the Daily Mail that Durham's report warrants additional exposure and review. The Clintons had a team of people at the FBI running in interference for them to avoid criminal culpability. These matters absolutely warrant additional exposure and review. So you're sitting there listening to me and you're asking this question. Why is this the first time I've heard about this? I subscribe to maybe the Washington Post, the New York Times. Depending on where you live, you subscribe to your newspaper. Have you heard anything about what you just heard? No. Why is that? The left, Democrats in leadership in Congress, both sides, House and Senate, they have direct lines to the decision makers at all of these news outlets. And every day, pushed out to everybody, every leftist news source, print, radio, television, every one of them, all of the acceptable talking points about any of the hot issues of that day. I know that happens factually. 
I'm not using subjective reasoning. It happens every day. Think back through the previous years. Think back through the Russia collusion story. Did you ever turn looking to a report from CNN and then flip over to MSNBC, then look over at ABC, NBC, or CBS, the big news channels, and hear the same story, even the same verbiage, again and again. Shouldn't we all be questioning, why did that happen? How could that happen? And why, oh why, did our government not just allow it to happen, but promote it? And that's exactly what they did. Now, here's the million-dollar question. I'm going to ask you the question. I don't have an answer. Is there going to be any there there? Will there be any accountability for any of these ones that broke federal law? Now, I'll give you my concept of what will or won't happen. I'm going to base my opinion on this, on what I've seen happen at our southern border by leadership. I mean, real leadership on the House side when Nancy Pelosi was still the Speaker of the House. And on the Senate side, Mitch McConnell is still the majority leader. Did you hear Nancy Pelosi ever come out and gripe about what's happening at the southern border and its daily violations of federal criminal law? You ever hear her say anything about it? Nope. What about Chuck Schumer? Absolutely not. So why, oh why, are they doing this? It's costing their fellow Americans billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. Those are taxpayer dollars. And those people, along with Joe Biden and whoever's pulling his strings, are the ones that are destroying the lives of every American for a political cause that is built on violation of federal federal laws. Every day, one person is allowed to step across our southern border without an official invitation from the federal government. That person is violating federal law. And those who suborn that that act by those illegals, the ones that suborn it, in other words, they help it or encourage it, they're guilty themselves by law. We have a president that every day he's committing treason by the definition of treason. Calm down, Dan. <laughs> if you joined us late, I am. Uh, this is some blowback from uh, spending 26 hours on a plane coming back from Africa over the weekend uh, and breathing in every imaginable thing that was being breathed out by my 300-plus fellow passengers, principally from Doha, Qatar, to Dallas-Fort Worth. I apologize. We're going to push forward and do as much as we possibly can. But what we are talking about today, and we're just getting started. We're just getting started. It's not just the Durham report. I'm glad it came out. I wish it would have come out a year and a half or two years ago. And it would have led to at least a couple more years with the Americans having clear vision about what really happened instead of just listening to Donald Trump continue his diatribe about the Russian hoax, which it was, and now we know that it was. Who else do you know in American political history that has lived through something even close 
to what Donald Trump has been living through, and they're not done yet. They're going to do everything they can, anything possible. They don't want a moving van at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue unloading his stuff. They want Joe to stay right there, and they're willing to say anything and do anything to make that happen. Holidays abroad. Can we, can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a year. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. (laughs) We've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee. Signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavour is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Don't ever miss a story or podcast. Get an email link to every new story and podcast by entering your email address on the homepage of truthnewsnet.org. If it's relevant, you'll get it here. Yes, we make it very easy for you to participate in stories at truthnewsnet.org. There's a blockbuster story on the front page today. You need to go check that out. And of course, TNN Live, this show is broadcast live in every country on the planet except two. Did you know that? Yeah, it's internet. Every country that has internet, they're going to get it. Governments in Russia and China block this from getting to their people. Happily, there's a way around it, and a bunch of Russians particularly, I don't I don't know about Chinese people, but I know Russians particularly have found a uh, end around to be able to listen to the show. But after the show finishes live every day, 
It's picked up in a podcast format by, oh my gosh, there are 27, at last count, different hosting sites that carry it, like Google. Yeah, Google carries this. Facebook, they carry it. Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, of course, Apple. And the list goes on and on and on. So you can go grab it. If you haven't yet set up in your favorite podcast site a link to get the latest TNN Live show, just go to the homepage, whichever site you're you're, uh, enrolled with. And in the search bar, just type in, open quotation marks, capital T, capital N, capital N, space, capital L-I-V-E, with an exclamation point. And it'll, boom, pop right up, and it's a, a green and black, dark, it's kind of a silhouette of Manhattan, one street in New York City, with my ugly mug, a caricature of that up at the top. And just bookmark it. And then you'll get an a text, or an email, depending on your site that you prefer, every day when a new story or a new link goes up for the show. Just want to make sure you get it and get it easy because I sure like having you along. There's been a bunch of mischief going on the past week or so up in Washington, and a lot of it has to do with deflecting the attention of the American people away from the Durham report so that the left can continue their pontification about Donald Trump, bad, orange man, evil. They're doing everything they can. But you know what's interesting? Have you been following the polls? We follow them here every day. And we don't bring in the day-to-day results. We subscribe, by the way, I'm asked this often to Rasmussen. They're the ones that seem to be able to put individual polls together quicker and more accurately. And then we go to real clear politics when we want to look at all the polls, different ones on every issue every day to see trends and what they look like. But do you know in the aftermath of that civil judgment that came down by that woman that claimed Donald Trump sexually assaulted her in a store in Manhattan 30 years ago? And Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg got a grand jury to support that finding and Trump's out $5 million. What happened in the polls then? Americans have made their voices heard. He's up 23 points in the polls, 23 points above his nearest um, unannounced, still talking about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, but it will be next week probably his nearest opponent, 23 points up, and every week, DeSantis's favorability, which was skyrocketing early on, shortly after Trump announced, he's gone down every week. Why? Because people are looking and taking a peek at exactly what DeSantis has done, other than fight the wars against the woke crowd, against Disney, against all of the isms and everything, which I applaud. I do. I love the state of Florida. I've got great friends in Florida. We vacationed every summer for years with our kids on the beach in Florida. Ron DeSantis and those in his legislature down there, they've been able to turn that state around. And it has become the go-to state in the union for people that are trying to get away with egregious far-left governing in states that are buying into all of this wokeism. Wokeism. That is destroying our nation from the inside. 
And every day, though, thankfully, I pray every morning. And I pray every morning, God bless America. Get our heads right. Get us back on track. And I pray for our president every day. Sometimes it's hard. But Jesus himself told us to pray for those that are put in a place of authority over you. Whether we like it or not, Joe Biden is the captain of the good ship USA right now. And I want the captain to do a great job getting the ship wherever we're going and on the ground before a train wreck or a plane crash happens. I challenge you to do the same thing. If for no other reason other than that's what we're supposed to do. You got that commercial for free. I want to weigh in before we get into the weaponization testimony yesterday. We're going to give you a little listen to what happened in those hearings and how horrible Democrats are to those former FBI, now whistleblowers, that they got terminated. One of them, the FBI sent him and his family, moved out west to a brand new location. And two days after he got there, they fired him without pay. And he and his family ended up homeless, living on the streets. Did you know that kind of crap happens in our FBI? And it's not just occasionally. It's going on every day. It's very disappointing to me. Now, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to put on hold just for a second while I grab a sip of water. Hang on. Thank you. If I do that every once in a while, I'm going to last longer today. Anyway, in Congress, there are battles that are happening every day. It doesn't matter that the House is now controlled by Republicans, barely, but still controlled. You still got the Senate sitting on the other side, and they have the majority, the Democrat Party do. But there are lightning rods in both parties, especially in the House. Jamal Bowman is one. Jamal Bowman is a Democrat. And he's an African-American man. Now, here's the reason why I'm telling you he's an African-American man. He's a big guy. And he and Marjorie Taylor Greene have been at odds now and took it out on the street where Bowman got in Marjorie Taylor Greene's grill and Marjorie Taylor Greene got right back in his. But I'm going to let you listen. First of all, let me, let me just fast forward over here. Let me find this. I want you to hear what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. Oh, shoot. I can't get my hands on it right now. Okay. I hate it when that happens. I cannot stand it when I know something's here and I just can't grab it usually set everything up in order on the show, but I'm skipping all across the place today because I want to get the really difficult things in there, hoping I don't have to leave the show early, but I might. And before I do, I want to make sure that uh, I've got everything handled. So let's do this. Jamal Bowman goes on a leftist news show, go figure. And he's questioned about the confrontation with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Listen to this back and forth and listen to Bowman's explanation. What are you talking about? Where are the migrant what children? What kids? You guys We're lost accepting them. them. We love no, them. We love the migrant children. We lost them. 
You can't find them. Wait, what are you That's talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah, migrant children missing. No, no, we don't know the news. Uh, I don't know. That's Fox News. That's Bowman. That's Fox News. That's Fox News. What they are, Marjorie Taylor Greene is confronting him with was of illegal immigrants that came through and they were sent to these NGOs, non-governmental operations, where they were supposedly charged with placing these kids in adoption families. 85,000 of those children, nobody knows where they are. Now, you can chalk that off to they don't keep good records. But you and I both know a huge portion of those kids were trafficked. Those Mexican cartels, they sent them over. But they were sent over for a purpose, and it had to do with dollars and cents. And somebody in this administration orchestrated it. And, of course, Bowman, oh, you know, we don't we don't lose kids. We love the kids. 85,000 of them unaccounted for. Let's continue. Yelling, shouting, raising his voice. He has aggressive, uh, his physical mannerisms are aggressive. And I am concerned about it. I feel threatened by him. Javon Bowman is here with me now uh, to respond to those accusations from Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene. He has been menacing me during the entire commercial break. Uh, I should note that my, my uh, full disclosure, my brother worked for you. He no longer does. Uh, but I, 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 well, what do you want to say to that? Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, it's, it's so nonsensical that it's comical. Uh, you can see clearly in the video that we were, like, playfully jousting yes, with each other. She was laughing. I was laughing. We were talking about each other's party and certain issues. Um, so the, the demeanor and the disposition, you know, on the steps, it was it was it was playful. We were we were going after each other. Yeah. So for her the next morning to say what she said, I mean, it's a complete 180. Number one, it's no longer comical now because now you are using historical racist tropes toward black men menacing his mannerisms. I'm afraid that's the stuff that got, you know, Trayvon Martin killed. Tamir Rice killed, uh, Michael Brown killed. I mean, I believe Officer Darren Smith literally talked about his presence and his strength as an excuse for killing him. No, that wasn't an excuse for killing him. And he didn't say that. But Jamal Bowman, nobody's going to hold him accountable. Leftist news agency, they're going to just dial right in and let him say whatever he wants to say without any confrontation. That's what mainstream media does. Michael Brown, it was later proven, he attacked that officer, physically attacked him. And the officer tried to talk him down way before it turned into shooting him. Bowman doesn't want to tell the people. A lot of people out there don't know what I'm about to tell you. The Obama administration, Eric Holder, was still the attorney general. And in the tank, far leftist guy, Eric Holder's investigation came back investigating that officer for what all of those allegations that Jamal Bowman just made against him. None of them were true. But when do the Democrats rely on facts to be the fuel that they use to counter what other people say? Facts don't matter. All that matters is political narrative. Theirs, not mine and yours. And this has happened to black men historically. And so now we're in a dangerous space. And that's why I wanted to be really, really clear. This kind of thing happens to black men all the time. 
Where are the facts, Mr. Bowman? Do you know that way more than 80% of the African-American population that die through gun violence, more than 80%, close to 90 in some big cities, are black people killing black people. So instead of addressing the real causes and coming up with the real fixes, it's much easier. Oh, he's running 2024 Bowman. Every member of the House is running if they want to get reelected every two years. 2024 is the next one. Bowman wants to keep his seat. So what's he going to do? He's going to pander to those who are voting for him, who are writing checks. It's all about the political narrative. Never about facts. Uh, to reporters today how reckless and dangerous her statements were. And she should know better. I believe she knows better. This is another reason why we need to teach the accurate uh, history of America in our schools and make sure African-American history is a part of that. He's talking about that 1619 project that has not one snippet in it based on any historical fact that anybody could find on either side of the big pond. Nobody in Europe, nobody in the U.S. can find any substantive basis for what he is calling the real history of the African-American people. It's never about the facts. I'm going to let him continue. Because uh, her rhetoric and her behavior in Congress outside of me, pictures with the AR-15 with the squad behind her, uh, chasing David Hogg and, and, and stalking him uh, as he engaged in activism around gun violence. Uh, her rhetoric, her language, her behavior has been aggressive and intimidating since she's gotten into Congress. Now she's trying to displace it onto me. So what do you do if you're a Democrat and you're caught taking on your big African-American man and you're taking on a little white woman, has a big mouth, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She talks all the time. I think she talks too much. But her heart's in the right place. She's one that demands everybody top to bottom abide by the rule of law. Jamal Bowman, President Biden, Marjorie Taylor Greene, everybody that takes that oath of office has got to abide by the rule of law. So, so far in Bowman's diatribe, Heard nothing substantial. Nothing. What does he do? He goes very quickly from the context of what was in the conversation, and he switches to racism. Um, Black men are just killed every day. That's one of their talking points that has absolutely no factual background or basis. But it sells good to the public. It sounds good to the left. How in the heck could they continue, even after the Durham report exonerated Donald Trump totally for the Russia collusion hoax stuff seven years later? How could anybody still go after Trump and claim credibly that he was, he was colluding with Russia, which Adam Schiff and others in the House are doing still to this day? Truth does not matter. On the side of the left, the only thing that matters is selling weapons with which you can diminish your political opponents. Forget about facts. Forget about truth. If it sounds good, even a large black man that got in the face of a small white woman, flip it around. What if a 
large white man got in the face of a small black woman, a member of Congress, out on the street, the steps to the Capitol. What would this announcer have to say about it? Oh, they'd want him thrown into jail, threatening that poor little African-American woman. She's serving her country in Congress, and they dare to get in her face. Not here, though. Why? Marjorie Taylor Greene is white, and Jamal Bowman is black. Um, I want to say also that if, if this gesture, which you were doing, is aggressive, then I'm the, I, all, all of my paisans are, <laughs> right, right. are in trouble. That's New York City right there. But it, that is New York City right there. But the other, I mean, the other thing, to get to the, your, your serious point, I don't want to yeah. quite a bit. I mean, what I thought was, well, if she had said this without the video... Like, we have the video, right? So you could look at the video, it's like, this is ridiculous. But when someone says, like, this black man is intimidating and physically aggressive, I mean, yeah, that that's a serious thing to say in the society in which we live and have lived for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And can have real consequences. Again, throughout American history, and not just about black men, but women of color as well. And, you know, when I first got to Congress and I had my first conversation with the squad, remember, they were coming off of Donald Trump. They would talk about the number of death threats they would receive after Trump would say something about them. Send them back or something like that. How quickly Jamal Bowman resorts to the race card. He resorts to beating up on women Democrats, not literally beating up, but diminishing them. Those are the exact things that I have seen him on numerous occasions in the last six months, do over and over again. He's not content to ever in any type of confrontation that I've seen. He's never okay with just expressing thoughts that counter the thoughts and the ideals of the person he's talking to. He gets in their faces. He screams and hollers, but that's okay. His justification is very simple. I'm an African-American. And white Americans owe me that opportunity. I get to fudge and get away with more than people of Caucasian persuasion can. Rise in death threats, have to increase security. So this is dangerous territory we're walking in here. We got to be very clear about that. And we need her to say on the record, one, she should apologize to me on the record. Uh, Two, ask her directly, do you want physical violence to be inflicted upon upon Congressman Bowman? And let her answer that question. Because at the end of her statement, it was, we need to watch him. That's almost like Donald Trump, uh, you know, stand by and stand back to the Proud Boys in that debate a couple of years ago. So he just made what Marjorie Taylor Greene said. He said, wanting violence against me. There was no call of any kind of violence from Marjorie Taylor Greene in that confrontation, none whatsoever. Afterwards, in what she said, she never called for anything to happen to him. But it doesn't fit the leftist narrative. They've got to weaponize everything. And what they do, it doesn't matter what happens in reality. It doesn't matter what's said in reality. If it fits their political narrative of the day, that's all it takes. They can say it grossly misrepresent it, and they have no whim at lying about all this stuff. We need to watch him. What are you, what are you saying? It's just, yeah. it's crazy. And again, th- you need to watch him. That's a threat from a little white woman to a big black man. 
You need to watch him. If I didn't know better, the first time I saw Jamal Bowman at a, behind a TV camera in an interview, he was attacking somebody aggressively, not physically, but in their faces. And it's okay. He just came out later. He came out and said, look, I'm loud. I'm convinced and I'm committed to the cause of the Democrat Party. All these righties, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but they're destroying our democracy. They have all of the buzz terms, the buzz phrases, the buzz words. They got them down. When they get on a show like this, he just pulls them out one at a time and he plays them all. This is why we have to teach history accurately so we can all be more enlightened as we govern. I want to ask you about, you know, we played the tape of you and Thomas Massey uh, and you had that exchange. Oh, yeah. She said I shoved him, which I didn't shove. Well, clearly you didn't. Obviously, you know, like, yes, it would be news if Congressman Jamal Bowman shoved Thomas Massey. I saw that in the tape. I thought, wait a second, did we miss that? No. Um, what's, what's the deal with these, these, these interactions? Like, is this a thing you're doing now? Is it just in the moment? What's it? Yeah. Is this, are you like, this is, I am doing this as a tactical thing or I, I can't yeah. help myself. <laughs> you, you, you know what it is? It's literally, it's organic. It just happens. So the Massey thing, I wasn't yelling at him. I was yelling at journalists to ask Republicans about Grant to do more. And then he walked up and then that became a thing. That's a bald faced lie. I saw that incident happen. He pursued Congressman Massey and got in Massey's face. And once again, large African-American man screaming, literally screaming. Massey's trying to step back and Bowman keeps stepping towards him. I saw that happen. It did happen. Not the way you just heard Bowman reference it happened with Massey. With Byron Donalds, we usually like talk about sports as we walk down the steps. I saw them approach him to ask him about DeSantis. So I started like going at him like, yeah, I want to hear what you have to say. It's really just who I am in terms of how I talk to people uh, on a consistent basis. So it's not really a thing that's become a thing. And and, and I get a lot of questions, this confrontational style. and And I'm like, I don't I don't mean to be that way. However, I am extremely frustrated consistently by the lack of action in yeah. Congress and how everyone is all about decorum and kids are dying every day from gun violence. And Oh my gosh, there we go. We did the racism thing. We did the sexism thing. And then you just heard, that's just the way I am. I'm loud and I'm so committed and I'm so upset with what's going on out there. You know, black men are dying. Novel idea, Mr. Bowman. You represent a district in upstate New York. Why don't you take the leadership in New York and forget about going after Second Amendment rights in the Constitution? Because you're never going to get the guns away from everybody. Isn't going to happen. Will not happen. Even if the Supreme Court kind of opened up a little bit, uh uh-uh. There are billions of guns in this nation that private citizens aren't going to let go of exactly for the reason you are spelling out in this conversation today. Why don't you try this? Why don't you go and make sure Alvin Bragg and the attorney general of the whole state of New York that used to be in Bragg's position, why don't you go after them and say, look, guys, we've got to start prosecuting people for breaking the law every time. People are dying because that's not happening. 
But that would mean he would have to go against the party line. And he has aspirations on higher, bigger, greater things. So he's just going to say whatever he thinks he needs to say to this little white guy on the set of this news show. And that's exactly what's going on. You can hear the white guy. He's laughing. Oh, you know, you're a cool guy. Ah, he did, you didn't push. You didn't push him. I saw you didn't push him. I saw, and he did. That's the way the left thinks. It's all about symbolism. Nothing about substance, ever. One in five children go to bed hungry. And we have all of these issues, and we don't have the sense of urgency to do something about it. And people in our districts want us to do something about it. So it's authentically me, but at the same time, it's like, okay, this place, this place is obtuse. It takes way too long to do anything. And I'm not a lifelong politician or lawyer or business person. I'm not rich. I'm an educator. So I'm coming in with that energy, and hopefully we can get stuff done. Okay, I'm done with Bowman. When he went to the kids thing, they can't eat. They don't have food. They're going to bed hungry. I just did a perusal when I pulled this off of uh, the internet to get ready for this show, this soundbite. And I went and did a search in uh, congress.gov. And I looked for the piece of legislation that was offered, that was put out to be considered by the House of Representatives that was going to tackle the specifics that he just claimed happened, which kids are going to bed hungry. No question they are. But wouldn't you think instead of getting into a little news operation like the one you're hearing him in, instead of doing that to stir the pie, if he was really such a great congressman and so wanting to do the right thing for everybody that's disadvantaged and because of their skin color, you heard him say it over and over and over again, Black men dying, getting killed, black men getting shot. We've got to stop that. But I don't see any of that happening. Not a single piece of legislation, not a single bill put out by Bowman in this Congress. Symbolism over substance. It's nothing but pontificating. But you know what? We should be accustomed to that. That's all we hear nowadays from the Democrats. We love them. We love the migrant children. We lost them. You can't find them. Your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Chicken in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can I get a... Uh, 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 u
iced white mocha triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti green tea cream frappuccino. Hey, <laughs> you got all the stickers. No, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342, 529-8342. TNN, when only the truth will do. TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's a little fact I'd throw out there before we move on, and it's about Tucker Carlson. Still hadn't landed. I think he's going to end up at Twitter, and here's the reason why. In his contract with Fox, they continue to pay him. They own his rights through December of next year. In other words, all the way through the election cycle next November. So they can keep him from doing anything in media. I'm sure those are terms, they're normal terms in media contracts. But one thing they allowed for, obviously, is for his use of social media. That's why he came out and he started talking about Twitter. Because he can do a live show on a social media platform, even if it's a one-hour show. And somebody asked the question, well, How can he monetize that? If he can't sell ads, Twitter won't let him. And the obvious answer is he doesn't need to monetize it because Fox News is paying out the wazoo to keep him and keep his contract in place. So it's going to be win-win for everybody. Now, speaking about Tucker and Fox News, this little tidbit popped out overnight. Tucker's net favorability with Republicans across the nation And he's well-liked in Republican circles, regardless of what you hear. His favorability with Republicans is 62 points higher than guess who? 62 points higher than Fox News' favorability right now. A poll published yesterday shows Tucker's net favorability with Republicans 62 points higher. What should be especially troubling to all of those people over at Fox News is that this is a poll of their viewing base, not just of Republicans, but likely Republican primary voters. GOP primary voters are the diehards. I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent registered that way in Louisiana for some very obvious and not so obvious reasons. But I am a diehard conservative, and I've never voted, never have I voted for a Democrat. Change Research, who conducted this poll, they went after the opinions and the answers of 404 of these Republicans nationwide. And here's what they came up with. Tucker Carlson, plus 59%. Elon Musk, plus 53%. Fox News, minus 4%. April 28th through May 2nd. Keep that in mind when we're thinking about Fox News and Tucker Carlson, and put that in the context of what Americans think 
about what's going on today. Do you know how fearful people in our nation have become? Because we can't get tangible stuff that we can get our arms around and accept and understand and believe. We can't believe in the FBI. We can't do that. You know good and well we can't do that. Even if a smidgen of what those FBI whistleblowers' testimony said yesterday, if even just a smidgen is true, we have the most barbaric, most politicized, most arrogant FBI Director Christopher Wray, even going back to James Comey and Robert Mueller, who both were FBI directors at one time. Today's FBI is as nasty and is conducting itself as nastily as I've ever seen anybody in the FBI do. One of my close, close friends is an FBI field office director, and he's a patriot. He's very conservative. He shakes his head. He can't believe this either. But the American people are finding out everything in Washington. If it's Democrat-based, it's for sale. Votes, opinions, meeting opportunities, everything's for sale. So just think about the price that's being paid for these favors coming from the FBI. Here's part of the FBI whistleblower testimony from yesterday. The members of this committee, current and former FBI employees, and indeed all Americans to ensure that the weaponization of our own government against the people comes to an end, no matter the personal cost. To shut down differing viewpoints is the end of any analytical or investigative body. It sends a chilling effect across the workforce. No, the whistleblowers are saying the FBI retaliates against people like them. Okay, Pete, if we've weaponized our government, how do we unweaponize it? How do we fix it? You need really strong, unafraid political leadership at the top. I actually, not to get partisan about it, but I actually think testimony like this strengthens the candidacy of Donald Trump, somebody who was the chief target of that politicization and has shown the courage and the backbone to be able to go right into the middle of it. He was a political novice in 2016. In 2024, he would not be. And you would need someone totally unafraid of the blowback of the machine across Washington, D.C. that would go into the bureaucracy and rip it out from its roots. Rip it out from its roots. Think about what that would take to do. I mean, we're talking about a vast, I'm not even sure how many employees the FBI has now, but it's hundreds of thousands of people. How do you find out who are the ones that you need to keep? Because they know everything and you can prove that they're okay. They're not in the tank for anybody. They're going to abide by the rule of law. That's a novel idea for anybody in the FBI. You have to talk about and look for people that are employed there that are honest and that really do believe in prosecuting criminals instead of prosecuting those with whom you disagree politically. That's what's going on now. So at the end of that, you heard Pete Hegseth, and he said, who can we get? What's it going to take to get somebody out there to tackle the FBI? Because if we don't get this stopped, we're going to turn into a KGB-run styled company. And we're a country that was established on the rights of the people, not the power of the government. Vivek Ramaswamy, I have problems saying his name. He's already declared for the Republican uh, primaries to be president. Yesterday, he weighed in. And one thing about Vivek, 
he makes a lot of sense. He's a thinker, a very successful young man in business, much like a younger Donald Trump. He's been there. He's done it. He's done the heavy lifting, and he knows there are prices to pay for everything. And I thought it was very salient to listen to him as he talks about the weaponization of the FBI. My colleagues on the far right are on a mission to attack, discredit, and ultimately dismantle the FBI. This is defund the police on steroids. You're engaging in the self-promotion of your new book that's about to be released. And what great timing to be on TV and in Congress right before your book tour starts. In Texas, we would just say that this is just a lot of hot air um, blowing here, and it ain't a whistleblower. Oh, hot air, like in that Chinese spy balloon. That's fun. Today's hearing comes just three days after the Durham report slammed the FBI's Trump-Russia probe. So is it time to shut down the whole bureau? Joining me now to discuss 2024 Republican presidential candidate and celebrated author Vivek Ramaswamy is here. Hi, Vivek. How are you? It's good to see you, Kennedy. How are you? Uh, great to see you. Did you find these three whistleblowers to be credible? I did. I think that they actually spoke honestly. And I think that this is an FBI that has an agenda and an axe to grind. They're treating their internal whistleblowers in the same way that they treat political dissent amongst the American public as hostile. And I think that when you have an agency that is so corrupt, so politicized, I don't think you can reform that top down anymore. I think there's one answer left for the FBI. You shut it down. And that is what I've committed to do if I'm elected as president, is that we can't just tinker around the edges. This is a bureaucracy that cannot fix itself. It is so corrupt that just as at the local level, you have local police and local prosecutors without an agency sitting in between. Mm -hmm. At the federal level, you have federal marshals, you have U.S. marshals, and you have the DOJ. You don't need an FBI sitting in between either. And I think this is far more pragmatic than we make it out to be. It's what the next president needs to do. Yeah, I don't agree that it's defund the police. In fact, I, I tend to agree with you that we already have so many federal law enforcement agencies that uh, the FBI has become redundant. But a politicized FBI trained against its citizens, that is uncalled for. And, and I think we do have to have a conversation about what we expect from law enforcement, from federal law enforcement, and are they usurping power from local law enforcement, which is having the toughest time of all. So I, I think you can look at all of these arenas where the federal government has been weaponized. So if you were president, what would you do about it? Obviously, you have to work with Congress. How do you make your case? Well, I actually, I actually disagree with that, Kennedy. I think the presidential reorganization powers, if you run the executive branch of the government, Article 2 vests you with the authority to run the executive branch of the government. The people who we elect to run the government and the executive branch ought to be the ones actually running the executive branch. That's the president, not the bureaucratic state that sits underneath. You know, even just from a case of efficiency, the DEA and the FBI pursue drug cases in parallel. Mm -hmm. This makes no sense. So just from the standpoint of efficiency and spending, it's already sprawling in a way that's wrong for the American taxpayer. But when you have a bureaucracy that shouldn't exist, it then finds things to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is a partisan point either, Kennedy. This is the same FBI that tried to actually pressure and threaten Martin Luther King Jr. into committing suicide, and denied Elvis. him a concealed don't carry permit. Elvis. So over the last don't 60 years, 
the left and the right could actually agree on this. You know, this is okay, so actually we, we not talk that a lot partisan about, of a point if we, we see it that way. We talk a lot way. about the left and the right, but there are a lot of libertarians who watch the show. And what is your pitch yeah. to them? They want the government out of their lives. They look at the pandemic. They look at, you know, potentially 87,000 new IRS agents. They work hard. Their money is taken from them. And the government lords so much power over them. So what is your pitch to libertarians? My pitch to libertarians is let's end the administrative state. That's actually how the government itself extends its tentacles through that fourth branch of government. Read the Constitution. There's three branches of government, not four. Yet it is the unaccountable fourth branch of government that wields the most power today. So if you're a libertarian, what do you want? You want the government getting out of your business so that you can mind your own. Mm -hmm. The vehicle that the government uses to do it is that alphabet soup. And I will shut it down. You can't tame the beast. Yes, exactly. The three-letter agencies, we have to shut them down. FBI to IRS to Department of Education, that is what it means to restore the power of our constitutional republic rather than this managerial technocracy that runs the show today. I'm, I'm fine with that. I despise technocracies. And I have to say, my Uncle John has never donated to a presidential candidate. And, and he texted me to let me know that he was so impressed uh, by some of the appearances that you have made recently and your comportment that he is, for the first time in his life, considering donating to your cause. So thank you for coming on the show. This is for Uncle John. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. He's, uh, he's, he's a good fan. I appreciate him. Yeah. Thank you. So now, meanwhile, the Republican presidential primary field, it's growing by the day. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis expected to launch his 2024 campaign next week. Polling has President Trump leading the field by several dozen points. But could an underdog steal the show? Vivek, what do you do to out-Trump Trump and push DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Mike Pence out of the picture. So I'm not a political analyst. I'm running based on speaking truth. And I'll tell you this, Kennedy, I would rather speak truth at every step and lose this election than map out some political snakes and ladders to winning. But what I see on the ground in places like Iowa and New Hampshire is that's exactly what voters want. I think the debate stage is key. I think that we as a party need to focus a lot more on the what and the why. What do we stand for and why do we stand for it instead of bickering over the who? We do too much of that in the Republican Party. We need to focus on the actual agenda. I think the debate stage is going to be crucial for that. I'm looking forward to seeing all my fellow candidates in this field on that debate stage. And then I think Iowa and New Hampshire are pretty important. I think we have a very good chance of doing well in New Hampshire. There was a poll that just came out earlier today. We haven't even spent that much money in New Hampshire, and I think a lot of those voters already appear to be quite receptive to my message. Well, you're, so pulling, higher, still very you're pulling higher than Mike Pence, uh, which is very interesting because obviously yeah. he was the vice president uh, under a president who's still very popular with many members of the Republican Party. But, you know, you are going to have to take on Donald Trump at some point. How do you do that? Because you, you yeah. might say you don't want to deal with the who, but he is the who. So I'm gonna, the case I make to the people is we're not running from something. We are running to something, our vision of what it means to be American. And I'm taking the America first agenda further than Donald Trump ever did. He did talk about draining the swamp, but when it came to the Department of Education, he put a nice enough person on top of it, Betsy DeVos. I've said I would actually shut it down. He talked about building the wall. I said I would use our own military to secure our own southern border instead of securing somebody else's border halfway around the world. I've also said that I would end things like affirmative action, which a president can 
end by executive order because it started by executive order. And I pushed Trump's people on why they didn't do it. They said that was a political hill they didn't want to die on. Mm. And so the lesson, Kennedy, is this. I think we can go further than Trump did if it's not based on vengeance and grievance, but based on first principles and moral authority. I think we go further with the America First agenda itself. Mm -hmm. The last president who tied it to the why, the principles, was Ronald Reagan. I see an opportunity to do what Reagan did in 1980, I'm intending to do in 2024, with a landslide election that unites this country and revives our national soul. Do you think you'd be a better president than my sexy boyfriend, Ulysses S. Grant? You know, he puts up some some big competition for me, so I'm not going to compare myself to Grant. But I would say that in in the modern era, I think Reagan sets the high bar. I'd like to be I'd like to clear the high bar set by Reagan. That'll be aspirational. (laughs) I didn't know it was a high jump competition. All right. I I like the way you're talking, Vivek. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I kind of like the way he talks. I mean, he's very substantive. He's a great speaker and he's got things lined up in his brain And he's a good communicator, so that helps a lot. I'm going to say something. I don't want to offend any of our people listening. But because we're Americans, because this has always been the melting pot of the earth, I think he's going to have difficulty, even if he should win the nomination, the Republican nomination. And I don't think it's going to be based on substance other than the fact that he's Hindu. Most Americans don't even know what Hinduism is or what it's all about. Most Americans that feel that way will vote against somebody because it scares them. I'm reminded of when Mitt Romney ran. He opposed uh, Barack Obama in the midterms, 2012. And it looked like Romney was going to win. In fact, two weeks before, he was ahead in the polls. And then he just quit campaigning. The most trouble I've ever gotten in on social media was a Facebook post that I posted after the day of election. And here's what it said. Now that the election is over, is it okay for us to go back calling Mormonism a cult? I got blasted for that. Now, Mitt Romney is a Mormon, and Mormonism has been called by many, many, many people for many, many years a cult. So Christians, Christians find it hard to support the Mormon religion for a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to go into the Religious politics of this doesn't matter. You can find out if you need to know or want to know for yourself. But Christians were dead set against Mormonism before Mitt Romney ran as a Republican for president. Isn't it interesting that when we get into politics, many things that we, they were faux pas. You don't dare go down that road until and unless your candidate is running and espouses that that whole concept that we're not supposed to go down. Kind of like Mitt Romney running for president. American conservatives didn't want a second Obama-Biden term, but they got it. At the expense of a Mormon. I feel the same way about Vivek, just simply because Americans aren't prepared to elect a president that is not of the Christian faith. Be it right, be it wrong. I'm not weighing in on it. I'm just saying I think that's going to stop him. Maybe, just maybe, he could fill a really good spot as vice president. I don't know. Just keep that in the back of your mind. So we have another 900-pound gorilla that uh, from day to day nobody wants to talk about. What is it? We've got a debt limit expiration. 
that's coming up. We're told in less than two weeks it's going to happen. And still, President Biden won't sit down with Kevin McCarthy and honestly open up and really negotiate to come up with a deal. And so as of yesterday afternoon, I heard and I read, went looked it up to make sure it was truthful, 210 Republicans in the House of Representatives had said they will support a Biden bypassing Congress and calling on the 14th Amendment to give him the universal, unilateral right to just raise the debt limit on his own. 14th Amendment is where it's coming from. I bet you've heard that all week long, last week when it first started being espoused. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Biden himself, when he first brought it up, he said, I don't want to go down that road because I don't think it'll pass muster in the court systems. Of course, he hadn't said anything like that again. Somebody told him to sit down and shut up. So what's in the 14th Amendment that those on the left think they could use to bypass Congress? After all, they're masters at bypassing Congress, principally to spend more of your money and my money and your grandchildren and great-grandchildren's money, borrowing, running up the debt. We're paying billions every quarter in just interest, and they want to spend more. This thing from the 14th Amendment, it comes from Section 4 of the amendment. Here's what it says. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave. But all such debts, obligations, and claims shall be held illegal and void. Did you read into that, that section four of the 14th Amendment? That's where they're getting some kind of hope that they can just bypass the United States House of Representatives and just let Biden pull out the old blank check and fill in the amount, whatever the amount is that he wants. Let me tell you what I did first thing this morning. I don't want the members of the Republican Party in Congress to wait. I sent a text to my congressman, Mike Johnson, 4th Congressional District. And let me do this. If I can find it real quick, I'm going to read it to you. I can't put my hands on it. I'll just summarize what I told him. I said, hello, great to talk to you. We need to connect again. And then I launched into it. Please, please, those of you in the House Judiciary Committee, go ahead and draft the motion to to get in the face of of the 14th Amendment that it looks like Joe Biden's going to play. Get it written, get it agreed to, and be ready to the second Biden pulls that out, that blank check out, and wants to start spending money, file against his action in the federal court system and get it to the Supreme Court as fast as you can. And they can file an emergency motion to go there. This would obviously be an emergency. Still, even if it does go through the House of Representatives, it's got to pass in, the, in uh, the Senate. Mitch McConnell made it very clean yesterday. For a measure like this, 
regarding spending this kind of money. It's going to take 60 votes to get it passed in the Senate. And he said, Mitch McConnell said that Schumer, Chuck Schumer, does not have 60 votes to get it passed. So what does that mean? Well, Biden's been waiting six months. That's when this conversation should have begun. He would not meet with McCarthy until a few weeks ago. And he's made it, it's my way or the highway from the very beginning, which is counteractive to what legislation is supposed to be when you truly represent the people of the nation. And I I, got to say, I don't think that that's Biden's philosophy. I just don't think it. I think he's out there to do whatever is necessary to get what he wants, and he is willing to do anything. Meanwhile, all of the stuff that is being thrown out in the front of the news for us to see and to focus on, it's all timed purposely. What and what is the purpose and why are they doing it and what are they doing? They're hiding things they don't want Americans to think about. Have you heard any more about the Biden family syndicate, their illegal actions? For weeks, that's all we heard. Hadn't heard anything this week, but there is news out there. Guess what? The university that's housing the Biden Center took money from a firm controlled by China's supreme organ of state power. And documentations confirm this. University of Penn received over half a million from a company that serves as an investment arm of the Chinese Communist Party after it opened Joe Biden's think tank in 2018. That's according to the university's foreign gift reporting records. Between 2018 and 2020, China Everbright Group, a state-owned financial conglomerate, donated a little over half a million dollars to the University of Pennsylvania following the February 2018 launch of the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. Now, this is coming from the university. China Everbright Group was founded in 1983, had the backing of the state council, which is composed by the heads of each Chinese government ministry and is China's supreme organ of state power. That's according to the Chinese government. Moreover, China Everbright Group also appears to have ties to Hunter's Chinese business ventures. That's according to a bunch of different financial disclosures. At the time of these donations, state-owned Central Huin Investment Limited held the majority of China Everbright Group shares, according to Chinese state-owned bank records, for 2018, 19, and 20. The state council appoints the board of directors and supervisors for the Central Huan Investment, which invest in accordance with the authorization by the state council. In 2018, in October of that year, China Everbright Group donated 18 grand to UPenn. No big deal. That's according to the foreign gift reporting records that came from American for Public Trust. Two months later, China Everbright, they made another donation, $314,110 to the University of Pennsylvania. Following year, China Everbright Group made a third donation of $191,590 to University of Pennsylvania. That was in September of 2019. By the way, China Everbright Group also has links to Hunter's business dealings, according to some financial disclosures. 
the company China Everbright Group was listed as parent company of China Everbright Bank in 2014. In turn, excuse me, 2014 SEC filings show that China Everbright Bank was a major investor for Bohai Harvest RST, where Hunter served as a board member at the time. What would be what would be the commonality in that conversation? Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and Chinese money. Is anything going to happen? <laughs> oh my gosh. I just don't know. I really don't know. I would love to say I have confidence something's going to happen, but under the Constitution, who is the only entity that can prosecute employees of the federal government for their alleged crimes? It's the Department of Justice. Who would that, who would that en- encompass in the Biden administration? The Department of Justice. Merrick Garland is the Attorney General. He won't lift a finger to say anything or do anything that would go against his boss, President Biden. And the other is the FBI. Of course, the CIA and DNI, there are about 16 different intelligence agencies out there that are all involved in all this stuff. They all work in answer to Joe Biden and Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, and Christopher Wray, the FBI Director. For those reasons, I can't see Merrick Garland instructing FBI or any prosecutors to take specific actions for criminality on the part of any member of the Biden family syndicate. First of all, it would be political suicide because Democrats would never touch somebody that attacked their own. Secondly, would it ever be worked in diligence, honestly, to come up with all the facts to present to a grand jury so the grand jury could credibly look at potential accountability that could be held against the wrongdoers if there is wrongdoing? I mean, those are questions that we all need to ask. And probably members of Congress, House Republicans especially, they're going to go, you know what? We tried. We did our best. But we couldn't get the DOJ to cooperate. And all of the Biden folks are going to get a free pass. I hope that's not what happens, but it's looking more every day like that may be the end of the road here. Let's just keep pushing those lawmakers that work for us. Contact your representative in the House, your senator, and tell them, hold those people accountable for their wrongdoing. If they did nothing wrong, it's no big deal. But hold them accountable. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. 
What do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these dolls. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I, I mean, not looking at it. We're not good I enough don't. for you. You look for something else? No, I just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels? What are you model Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Partisan spin? Not here. Identity politics? Go somewhere else. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Here's Dan Newman. So, yesterday, a bunch went on in the House, the investigation into the weaponization of the FBI against Americans. House Republicans' premier investigative panel, they refuted a bunch of claims that the FBI made in a letter about its decision to revoke the security clearances of three individuals, FBI, former FBI agents, who had approached Congress with allegations of misconduct within the Bureau. Now understand, they canceled, the FBI canceled, they revoked the security clearances of these three guys after they went public and became whistleblowers. The FBI doing what they did, to be quite honest with you, is against the law, but it's the FBI. Who's gonna hold them accountable? They're the ones that hold each other accountable. That ain't going to happen. The weaponization of the federal government select committee said Marcus Allen and Steve Friend, whose security clearances were suspended by the FBI and later revoked, were retaliated against for speaking out about their concerns that the Bureau had become politicized and politicized against conservatives. The committee summarized in a 78-page eight-page interim report after months of investigation. Here's what it says. A recurring theme is that the FBI has violated federal whistleblower protection laws and abused its security clearance review process to hamstring the brave agents who exercise their right to make protected disclosures to Congress or who dare to question the agency's leadership. So the FBI Acting Assistant Director Christopher Dunham laid out in his letter written to Chairman Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, and it was leaked to Fox News purposely, of course, and some other outlets in response to a subpoena that the Bureau had revoked the three clearances because of January 6th related issues. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. More than two years later, and just all of a sudden, when these people are announced as whistleblowers, oh, we're going to, we're going to, Kick them to the curb, but it's not because of the whistleblower status, which would be illegal for the FBI to do, but because of January 6th related issues. Stink a little bit. The weaponization committee said in a statement given to several news agencies that the FBI was disparaging whistleblowers with claims about why it revoked at least two of the clearances. Allen, according to the FBI, had espoused alternative theories to co-workers 
to allegedly hinder the FBI's work related to January 6th, despite being told repeatedly not to. But they didn't fire him until he became a known whistleblower. The committee contended that Allen, based on his testimony, was conducting all-source analysis per FBI orders and never instructed his colleagues to take any specific action based on material that he shared with them. The FBI said Agent Friend refused to cooperate, uh, cooperate in a court-authorized arrest, espoused an alternative narrative about J6, downloaded files from an FBI computer onto an unauthorized flash drive, and did not attend a required disciplinary briefing. By the way, the committee also disputed the FBI's justification for revoking Friend's clearance, saying this, when Friend raised his concerns to his supervisors about the use of an FBI SWAT team to arrest a January 6th subject, who was cooperating with the FBI, by the way, Friend never refused to participate in the execution of that warrant. Mr. Friend's supervisors did not even allow him the opportunity to refuse because they ordered him to take absent without leave status the day the warrant was executed. It just goes on and on and on. This government, the Biden administration, I don't care who started it. I don't care when it started, but it is in living color for all of us, you and me, to see. We have got to step up. We have got to let it be known. We will not accept that from our FBI, from our government. It's still constitutionally to be governed Government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Not government by or for or of any intelligence committee agency, including the FBI, or the White House for that matter. Just saying. Throwing it all out there. Hey guys, I'm toast. (laughs) Those of you who are at the top of the show, you heard me ask for forgiveness. I didn't know how long my voice was going to last This is a byproduct of flying from overseas over the weekend and spending 20-plus hours in a closed jet with 300 other passengers and breathing everything that they were breathing out. Don't let an airline try to convince you that they filter every bit of air that comes in or out. When you're on a plane for 16 hours, how the heck are they going to change the filters? And filters get clogged up and dirty. I'm living proof. I've got three degrees of fever, and I'm hacking in between sound bites here. I better go get my doctor to uh, give me some medicine and maybe a Celestone shot. If that happens, oh my gosh, I'll be on cloud nine by mid-afternoon. Listen, don't forget tomorrow, our bullet points. We pick the best stories, the biggest stories of the week. And we put them in bullet point format so that you don't miss any of the big news of the week. That's tomorrow. Catch this podcast immediately after the show at your favorite podcast hosting site. Have a great weekend. Just leave all the madness you've
Women 